Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of masculinity happening around the world today. This is episode two of my three-part series, Live from a FormCon 2022, featuring Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Sonkrant, the hosts of the hit podcast, Cultish. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. In case you hadn't noticed, we're transitioning into a post-secular age. But what does that mean? For decades, the new atheists of Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens, and Daniel Dennett held sway over the public dialogue. Their message was simple. There is no God. There is only matter. Everything else is naive human superstition and collective mythologies, leading to war and division. If we eliminate superstition, we eliminate division, and peace can reign. In other words, it's religion's fault. The odd thing, though, is that I never saw those guys going to India and telling the billions of Hindus that they were engaging in superstition, or Israel, for that matter, and talking to Orthodox Jewish communities, or Africa and those who practice tribal religions. Their criticisms were leveled primarily at the West and Christians. The one exception is Sam Harris, who at least had the courage to speak against Islam, but who still took a ton of heat for it. So, once again, it's okay to be any religion, just not Christian. Funny that. Debates were held around the world. Careers, reputations, and fortunes were made, all to convince people that it's not so much that God was dead, it's that he didn't exist in the first place. This was the secular age. It led to the elevation of science as religion, or scientism. And if you want to see how far scientism has progressed in American culture, try this experiment. The next time you're at a bookstore or on Amazon considering buying a nonfiction book, read the blurb on the back. Try to see how often the blurb says something like, backed up by the latest discoveries in science, or with new insights driven by big data. The implicit claim is that science provides the answers for everything. It is the authority, and we have become the proverbial fish in water, swimming in a world driven by the all-powerful, invisible, all-explaining hand of science. The new atheists help contribute to this worldview. Except, there's a problem now. With Aubrey Marcus and Michael Pollan, among many others, talking about psychedelics and mysticism, this is not at all compatible with the scientism view of reality. Because as soon as you drink ayahuasca, take LSD or mushrooms, or participate in any other mind-altering practice, including deep states of meditation, you become unavoidably, undeniably aware that there is much more to the world than the material. And I challenge anyone who engages in these practices, who says otherwise, to a debate. Ayahuasca and atheism are not compatible. If someone says otherwise, they are being deeply disingenuous, which is why you may have noticed that the new atheists don't get so much play anymore. 
Of course, Christopher Hitchens died a number of years ago, God rest his soul, and Sam Harris just demolished his reputation by saying that Hunter Biden could have had the bodies of dead children in his basement, and Harris would still have voted for Joe Biden. But where is Dawkins? Dennett? Nowhere to be seen. Instead, we hear more about Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers' ayahuasca trips, not to mention those of actress Megan Fox and singer Machine Gun Kelly. The Hindu mystic Sadhguru has joined the World Economic Forum. And if you visit your local health food store like Sprouts or Whole Foods, you'll see magazines featuring Eastern mysticism displayed openly at the checkout. What's going on? How did we get from atheism to mysticism? This is the transition to the post-secular age. Atheism and scientism leveled the ground of people's religious belief systems, but it couldn't level the ground of people's need to believe. So Empire is now providing a series of new beliefs, pagan beliefs, and mystical beliefs for the public to consume, and we're about to see a flood of them. Which brings me to my guests in this episode. Their names are Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Songkrant, and they're the hosts of the hit international podcast, Cultish. In Cultish, which has been running for four years and consistently lands high on Apple's charts, they explore what they call the kingdom of the cults, or the broad array of religions and practices around the world that mimic the behavior of a cult. The best indicator of a cult that I've personally heard is that when you leave, you're shamed and punished. And I can say definitively this applies to the New Age. Many people are leaving the New Age now for Christianity, myself included. And I've seen those still within it call people like me backwards, bigoted, closed-minded, having a savior complex, and out of touch with our so-called divine nature. There's the shaming. Cult. But of course, the New Age is far from the only example. Jeremiah and Andrew have covered astrology, tarot, faith healing, Reiki, polygamy, flat earth, Charles Manson, Jeffrey Dahmer, the Enneagram, and even right-wing politics and many sects of so-called Christianity. I also did three episodes with them recently about Burning Man and Ayahuasca, because there are plenty of cults to go around, which is why Jeremiah and Andrew's work is so important. Again, scientism and atheism leveled the ground of public belief. Now, new beliefs will be allowed to flood in, like a pagan dam bursting. It's vital that Christians have fluency with these beliefs, know how to recognize them, understand the flaws, and grasp how to refute them from a Christian perspective, if only in their own minds, dining rooms, and homeschool classrooms. Because mark my words, you're going to be hearing a lot of them in the coming months and years. But the good news is that this is a battle Christians can win much more easily. The argument of God versus no God, or Christianity versus New Atheism, is very different from the argument of God versus other gods, or Christianity versus paganism. This was the battle Paul fought in his epistles, particularly in Romans chapter 1, but it shows up many other places. Just know that in the post-secular age, the ground of a spiritual dimension to reality has already been conceded. Faith is a given. This is equivalent to home court advantage to a Christian. So it's time to start sharpening your swords of apologetics, my friends, and turn on cultish, because Jeremiah and Andrew have been at this for a long time, and they've seen things you people wouldn't believe. For those of you just joining us, for a little bit of context, I hosted a podcast booth at ReformCon in Mesa, Arizona last weekend. In episode one of this series, I interviewed Pastor David Reese and attorney Davis Yance. And this interview with Jeremiah and Andrew was conducted in the same podcast hall with the same bottle of bourbon for bait. And in this conversation, the three of us discussed 
my history in the New Age, and how I avoided a pendulum swing into cultish Christian beliefs, the deception of yoga, returning to biblical masculinity and femininity, the power of not having the last word, topics that I might tackle in future appearances on cultish, Jeremiah's insights into how to minister to people still in the New Age, and which book of the Bible is the first book of apologetics, and some amazing apologetic discourses from Andrew. Once again, this is episode two of three of this series, and the final episode will be released on Wednesday, featuring a pair of very special guests you won't want to miss. I hope you enjoy, and will share all five exclusive interviews with a friend. So it gives me great pleasure to debut the second episode in my series, Live from ReformCon 2022, featuring Jeremiah Roberts and Andrew Sonkrant, the hosts of the hit podcast, Cultish. Jeremiah, super sleuth Andrew, thanks for joining me on the Renaissance of Men podcast at ReformCon. Awesome, man. Glad to be here. Yeah, Yeah, ditto. Well, thanks for having me on a couple weeks ago. I've been getting amazing feedback about that interview. Lots of responses just today, in fact, like a... Uh, a friend of mine on Instagram reached out and said, my sister-in-law was listening to a podcast, Cultish, with, was it Ren of Men? Mm-hmm. So I got a nice, I got a nice yeah. message about that today. Has that been, how has that been received by your audience? Uh, really well, really well. I, you know, it's just interesting too, because a lot of people still, like they understand this is becoming a big, big thing. The, the psychedelics, the DMT, the ayahuasca is just, it's exploding like so many other things right now. And, but they don't, they, they're just not really understanding the spiritual danger behind it. So it's just very, very opening to see like Aaron Rodgers, like of all people. Uh, yeah, it's been very eye opening for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the feedback's been great. I mean, you know, the, at the episode, how I found Jesus at Burning Man, like that's just amazing. So people love that because it's a story of God's grace. And when we see how God's grace works in people's lives, it's just, just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, I feel very lucky to have experienced what I did, you know, as we were talking to Jeremiah during the interview, it's like you were on the side of the fence looking in the fence mm-hmm. says, do not cross. You walk what you're watching from the outside and I'm running around naked on the yeah. <laughs> inside. Like, yeah. like oh, <laughs> thank God I made it out of that. Yeah. And then to find a community like apology and to come to reform con and, and to discover really the best of the best of reform theology. I feel profoundly lucky mm-hmm. um, because I could have gone on a much longer journey through yeah. Christianity to, to end up falling down the stairs yeah. of reform theology as Ben Mark Merkel describes it. Yeah. So and as you know, right and as it. you know, a reform con conference is also for the kids. You just yeah. heard a bunch of kids that just went by in case you're hearing that in the background. Um, but yeah, this has been a great, I mean, on this, this conference is great on many levels. I think it's like one, just, it's always cool to see the fans in person. It's always weird. And maybe you can tell me about this too, just being a podcaster. Right. I mean, people who have listened to hours of your voice, they already have this like weird pseudo relationship. Yep. Versus when you meet in the flesh, like, I think we're all like figuring this out because even now with podcasting and social media, I mean, this whole journey of like this level of communication, if you think of podcasting and social media, it's all only like 20 years old. Yeah. Like I remember when I got my first MySpace to like now, <laughs> but like, we're all learning this like interesting communication. So it's, it's cool to be able to see people face to face, but also just really understanding like this conference that. And the Lordship of Christ encompasses encompasses all areas of life, whether it's someone like David Bonson who's talking about uh, economics, or you have other people that are talking about education. Um, or in our case, when we're dealing with apologetics, uh, specifically uh, talking about the kingdom of the cults and the kingdom of the occult, uh, you know, we yeah. are, you know, we we've we've even done podcasts recently that were controversial, but even the con the the intentional controversy wasn't to just create some 
uh, internet dumpster fire of a comment section, but it was like there air even the, I think there's areas apologetically in the of dealing the, with a new age that there's areas of serious reformation that needs to happen. Um, and that includes, and part of that has means you have to embrace the conversations that scare you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what we need to be as Christians are people who are not ruled by our emotions. And sometimes we see that, uh, the conversation gets ruled by emotions instead of being able to sit and think critically and objectively about the issue at hand, especially with what you were talking about. Some yeah. of the podcasts that we have recently done that have caused some, we would say, I would say some godly controversy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll say more, say more about the godly controversy. Yeah, so we were just talking about, you know, Halloween and uh should we talk about Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, just we're just talking about Halloween yeah. and pretty much if if you're going to have a conviction, make sure your convictions are based off of historical reality if you're going to talk about a historical thing, uh not just off of knee-jerk knee emotions. Right. Really. It's good to have yeah. convictions uh morally, but if you're going to make historical claims, make sure they're based on reality because the Holy Spirit brings convictions that I would say correspond with reality because he's the author of history itself. So, right. Yeah. And I think it's, it, there's like multiple different avenues. I think that what you're seeing, because uh, when people get into the conversation about Halloween, it ends up being, well, can I do a trick or treat or trunk or treat? And I think those conversations are there, but that's very minimal in comparison to understanding the bigger picture of the whole as a whole is that the current modern day celebration and all the darkness and the progressive darkness you see on this holiday is part of a bigger picture right. what will we'll unravel that we are under a great reset yep. of sorts um, of a, a transfer where it's not the end of the world, but we are going into, it would be, I would say this is the end of the world as we know it. Like, I don't think any of us are going to recognize the world we are living in 20 years from now. Um, it's very, a very year pop- from now, oh, a year from now. Yeah. Uh, but you're seeing a transfer from a, from a society that embraced twoism where there is a creator God who has absolute, he has an absolute law, the law of God. And there's a distinction. Also, there's a distinction between the creator and the creation. So you have twoism uh, going over to oneism, which is neo-paganism. And that's defined in Romans chapter one, where when someone worships the creation rather than the creator, uh, what you end up seeing, there's an infusion between the divine. Uh, there's no distinction between the divine and the material. And yes. that's what you're seeing on every single level. So it's not just Halloween. I just got someone messaged me just here, Banner Health. Um, there's an advertisement to get uh, Reiki energy healing. What? Under Banner Health. At like, Banner Health? At Banner Health. I, I have it on my phone. Um, I can pull it up. Actually, I can pull it up here. That's uh, wild. Do. But this is, um, like, like I said, this is indicative of... Like the culture at large, so it's healthcare. It's all, like I said, it's holistic medicine, and health food. Like there's, we've had a conversation too about, all right, how can I have, how can I have longevity? How can I actually like, you know, say my prayers, take my vitamins, as the great physician Hulk Hogan once said. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like I said, there's a with all a lot of every with every single thing in the world right now, there's a there's a caboose that's being attached, like you mentioned yeah. in our conversation, and that's twoism. So even and that's what people are looking at the bigger picture, and also. There's another area of that we have a lot of concern as people who do apologetics specifically to the new age. Like we want to minister to people who are in the new age Mm -hmm. and even the people that kick back and push back on our episode, like we love them. And it, it's unfortunate that many people that we love are misunderstanding our, our intent. But one of the major flaws is that people, and this is, 
and you're and I'm telling you as someone who's an ex New Ager, yeah, many people get say I think there's a progression I've seen of people who get saved out of the New Age, where the worldview behind that worldview is that I have definitive knowledge and a definitive certainty that I'm in the know because I'm always tapping into this secret esoteric hidden knowledge. Yes, more and more all right. the time. So when a New Ager gets saved and comes to know the Lord. Like what ends up happening? It's all it's like this cage stage where they do a huge pendulum swing, and now they realize, oh no, everything that I ever believed in, and you can tell me, like, and this is a, this is my collective experience of me just watching multiple people and talking with, with people, is that oh no, like everything is now everything's the devil, like everything is satanic, because then you realize, mm. and so that's that's the reason too why even like we are eschatologically we're post mill, is ninety nine point nine percent of people who get out of the new age, they embrace premillennial dispensationalism um, just because that, oh, okay. that kind of shows that we're in the end of times. Everything's getting worse. Everything's evil. This congruent with where they land. And usually it takes a couple of years, probably five to six years for a lot of people who are in the new age to kind of balance themselves out. Okay. One of the problems uh, I do see it's in the realm of people who are ex new agers who are brothers and sisters in the Lord. Um, I think they're in error because they're using the time of when they are tapped into the unseen realm. They're almost using that as a lens to discern everything. And I think you have to take that with a grain of salt at best, because all of that is based in the father of lies. Like, so yeah. there's, there's an astral, like there's an astral realm. Yes. Like that's true. But since it's based in satanic deception, you, you have to just, you can't use that experience as you're all, I mean, there was a bad experience, but ultimately know there's a bad experience because of scripture. You can't use that experience as the ultimate authority to discern things. Does, yes. that, make, does that make sense? Yes. Uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's like a one-ism discernment, really. Like your discernment is not uh, evolving in the terms of having a biblical objective form of looking outside of your sense experience in order yeah. to uh, say this is objectively bad. It's more emotional based, but how did right. you kind of get out of that in a sense? How did, um, Which God, part? not having a one ism form of discernment, right? Like you come out of the occult, but it doesn't seem like you look at the world through that lens anymore. I mean, I, I think the big thing, the big thing for me was recognizing that I did see the world that way. Um, I, I never did the pull, full pendulum swing into, into pre-millennial dispensationalism. Yeah. I had read a little bit about that, but not knowing about the term before I became a Christian, I sort of explored some of those things. I just, I went through a phase where, yes, in the new age, everything is mystical. And then I went through a phase where nothing was mystical at all, right? It was just like, I could understand why people would find Christianity really dry. But the further I explored into it and started reading the Bible, I realized there's far more magic to use that word, like in the, in the neutral sense, in the good sense, in the word, in, in the world, than the new age world even allows. And so once I passed through that very narrow passage of like everything becoming very dry and stiff and formal, I realized Christianity has hidden depths and, and that it's all based on the fact that God made the universe with laws and he is the creator and we are a creation and we are meant to obey those laws. And once we're able to do that and live in alignment with his created law and created order, yeah. Life just works better. Mm. He created the universe and he, he wrote, wrote the manual and the manual is the Bible. And when you follow the Bible and you follow the manual, it yeah. works. Amazing, yeah. right? Like how much mm. better is life, right? Yeah. And I think it's a matter of like having balance. So a, a, lot, and a lot of people who are ex-newators, again, we love these people, that they make an overemphasis. I mean, is 
the the occult, the new age, that is satanic deception, demonic, hundred percent. Yeah. And I think there is sometimes an overemphasis where they tend to stay there rather than like they they, they do not make an emphasis uh, as much on Colossians one fifteen about how Christ made a, made a public spectacle over all principalities and powers and that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so what ends up happening is that uh, a lot of people end up being very fear-based when in fact in First John it talks about how perfect love casts out fear for the one who fears has yeah. not been protected in love. And so I think, I think there has to be balance. There has to be balance between showing the dangers of the new age uh, but also making making the main emphasis Christ is victorious uh, and like and balance out the both and also make sure that you're not carrying any aspect of oneism over to your new life in Christ because a lot of them mm. I think they're just pre-commitments and some of the things that they say maybe they don't even realize they're saying it mm. um, I think that's that's another area too I, I really think that a lot of new agers really never question their beliefs yeah. down to the bedrock that was right. something that I was always doing like I was always watching always paying attention even when I was on that ayahuasca retreat in Peru yeah. I remember being inside my own mind watching my experience and taking notes on it because i knew i would want to write about it later so i was never i mean i was fully immersed in it and fully experiencing it but i was always critical of my own experience and i think a lot of people when they go into the new age they don't bring that with them they're not observing themselves they're not observing their experience and so like for them they have to pull themselves way further out of it than 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 i did because I was always watching. And that's one thing that's always kind of confused me about the new age is it seems like Gnosticism in the sense where you're trying to get out of this material reality in order to find truth at that higher level. But it seems that all truth is purely defined through sense experience. Yes, that's, so the, mystical, that's the mystical mindset. Right, and that's that's what's hard for me to, to understand is it's, it's hard to be able to have that critical-like mind when it's the experience that is the truth in itself. Yes. But that's cool that uh, you're in those moments, you're even trying to be critical of the experience that you are having. That's yeah. like almost like the silver lining or the silver cord throughout your life where God was always there holding you and holding your sanity. Because most people don't, don't have, if, if they don't have God, their sanity is lost because it says that a power of a, of a sound mind comes essentially from salvation. Yeah. No, it's literally a work of God and it is a miracle to have a sound mind like the fact the fact that i was able to explore all the different things in the new age mystical esoteric religious world that i was and that i've always felt this call to explore that pulling me through it like i talked about like since i was 12 or 13 i even remembered after the interview that when i was a little kid like eight years old in the school library, I was a kid reading all the UFO books and Bigfoot and stuff like that. Like everyone else is reading Hardy Boys or whatever. Yeah. I'm reading Bigfoot. So like as far back as I can even remember, but that it ultimately led me to Christ is very much, oh man, there's the Reiki, heal, the Reiki Healy for Banner, Banner Health. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That ultimately led me to Christ and that I was kept safe through all that. You know, I went through things that could probably legitimately induce madness. Once I discovered like Calvinism and predestination, I was like, I have a little bit of evidence for that in my life, you know, and it's, yeah. it's I, I don't we can get into a theological discussion, but it's mm-hmm. like, I can't say from my own experience that that's not true. Yeah. 
right? So that's that. I'm glad you touched on that because I haven't been able to talk about that really. What's funny too, like my personal experience growing up is I did a lot of psychedelics and stuff like that when I was a teenager, but I never did it to gain truth. Yeah. I grew up in a Christian worldview. I did it to hurt God. Oh, because I was angry. That's, that's going to work out. So I wonder what that perspective is like. Did you ever meet other people like that when you were going through maybe like a search for truth? These people weren't doing psychedelics to uh, try to find some other world of truth, but really just to escape in a sense. Oh, yeah. A lot of people like so. So I, I, I went down and I did the retreat in Peru, which is something that a lot of people traveled for and that it was expensive. So you had to go with a purpose. It's like a clinic, right? It's like an energy healing clinic. But I participated in circles in Northern California and like people would go like every month, like it was just their thing. And I was always like, why are you doing this every month? Like, this is not something meant to be done every month. And they would always bring the same kind of problems. And I had a lot of compassion for them and empathy for them. But it's like it was really it's it felt escapist ultimately. Right. And, And there is a lot of that. The hating God thing. I, I think if you scratch beneath the surface for a lot of new age people, you find that ultimately it's 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 directly a rejection of God. Yeah. And I think too, uh, just, and here's another topic too, when you talk about just uh, this conference and how it ties into uh, like what we do as a ministry. Well, people even ask me like, how do you, like, how are you, how do you stay sane? Like dealing with one crazy cult thing, then the next. Wait, you're, you're sane? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jerry's it, sane. Am I? <laughs> but like, Everything, you know, when you when you look at something, you're looking at both sides of the argument. And right. so, like, even in our research for Halloween, like the Halloween episode that we did, um, and just, you know, it's always funny to see there's always a difference behind what happens behind the scenes with production. Right. Uh, so even, like, with how we paste and put together our, our content, uh, it was the conversation with Ali was only 50 minutes. Uh, we lost an hour of time because for some explain, unexplainable reason... Not none of our equipment worked. Like everything oh. was on, everything was working for some mysterious w- reason. It just wasn't working. So we are literally just like speed sweating it, sweating it through all the basic basic bullet points. But for every bullet point, there was like a tab you could open up. Um, that hopefully we'll do another time. So there's right. that variable in play. But um, also, like it's like even with that, like we looked at a bunch of information on both sides of the equation. Like we yeah. researched. Uh, we watched videos on why you should never like 15 reasons to never celebrate Halloween. Uh, we viewed ones like by Mike Winger who gave more of a balanced view as he like, does. Yeah. And so we, we would look at, you know, the people who are, we actually read the argumentation. There's new multiple articles that we read to cross examine them. Mm-hmm. So even the people who disagree with us they're they were sending us messages of these like historians that disagree with us. Like, ah, oh, you're refuted. Like, Oh, that's, part of our research that we already did yeah. but okay but yeah but like you're but even researching that you're researching like a lot of dark things so like how do you stay sane in it and i think there's two things that are very helpful one is just reformed theology like being right. a calvinist um one just because you realize that there is a god who's who's sovereign like our god is in the heavens he does whatsoever he pleases and so when you look at what's going on right now like i said there's there i just showed you like banner health is now doing reiki energy healing right <laughs> and it's it's everywhere. Like how do you how do you stay sane and all that? One, you realize that God is sovereign, he's in control, but also you realize that, you know, Christ is the one who reigns supreme. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. Uh, he's our great high priest. He's already made a public spectacle out of for those even though for even those who celebrate Halloween demonically, like I don't fear that because I'm aware of it. I know not to do those practices, but I don't fear it because I know that Christ has already made a public spectacle 
out of those people, out of the things that they're celebrating that way, or even what they're tapping into. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that that's, I think it's just the balance view, but also just being my eschatology is also very helpful. Helps. Um, I got plenty of people who listen to our podcast who have differing views of eschatology. I'm not going to disparage anyone or think less of them. But I think for me, understanding what I believe, what Bibles, what the Bible says, where we are headed in history for the long term, um, it gives me confidence to be faithful in this area to which God has called me. And as we're progressing into this era of oneism, like I'm ready just to face the onslaught of it uh, with confidence, knowing that I'm just I'm just a fool. I'm not that smart of a person. Like I I love doing what I do, but I, I know in confidence I can stand against the opposition because uh, Jesus Christ is King of King and Lord of Lords. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder, like, how long is this neo-pagan revolution going to last? Or rebellion? I shouldn't say revolution. A yeah. revolution's returning to something. Uh, a rebellion, because it seems to me that it's you know. Psalm 1101, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in my right hand as I place all your enemies, uh, making them a footstool for your feet. It seems like what has happened with the birth of the Enlightenment period in atheism, the pressure of being placed under Christ's feet, atheism in itself, is resulting in now in a form of judgment, which is the neo-pagan rebellion. So oh, that's interesting. You see what I'm saying? Like We get yeah. 200, 275 years of good amounts of evolution in thought, and now we have like we were talking about earlier before we started the bastard children yeah. of atheism now returning to some form of spirituality, but that's a form of judgment according to Romans one. So what I think about even with Nero and the reign of the Romans is right before the total overthrow, uh, the death throes really of the Roman era in paganism, we see the massive reformation or revolution of Christianity. So it's almost making me think in terms of what you're talking about in Colossians two. Yeah. Uh, it seems like Christ is really just paving a way more for the gospel. Like how the Romans created all of the roads prior. They had the pavement and stuff like that. So when the gospel went, they actually had roads to travel on, which made the gospel spread easier. Amazing, right? Right. Now we're getting these people who have no fathers in real life. Uh, they have no direction, but they're going to some form of spirituality. They're getting open, but they're going to find something that is totally bankrupt. And then Jesus is going to be there to show them I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me to have this massive... Well, that's my hope, I guess. No, that's my post-millennial hope. No, yeah. I, mean, I, I, think, I think it's really real because the, the New Age, it doesn't ultimately lead to any answers. It doesn't, lead, it doesn't lead to any fruit. And that's the big problem is that you see people... Like I know so many like parents in the New Age, they have like one kid, maybe two, and they're always fighting and there's always a power struggle. And it's always trying to balance out the energies and it's always honoring the divine feminine. You can't actually make a house, a household work that way. They're not able to interact with society. They're not able to run businesses. They, well, we're doing an energy transfer, like that whole world, really like the whole world can't actually produce fruit. And it doesn't, if you go to Sedona, right. Or you go to Santa Cruz or you go to Goa. Like the thing is I've visited a lot of these new age enclaves overseas, Bali, yeah. Goa, yeah. whatever. The reason why they those enclaves work is because they're spending American dollars, right? Wow. So like, you, like so they can go to Goa and they can do pennies on the dollar and like pretend like they're living this utopian kind of lifestyle. It's like, no, you're just there because you have whatever resources from whatever source, and like you can live in a cheap country. You're yeah. not living any utopian dreams. Sorry. Mm -hmm. And so you go to Sedona, and you see the way that people live up there. It's like, how many crystal shops can you open? So yeah. it produces no fruit. And ultimately, people will be forced to recognize like you have to you have to adopt a theology that drives you forward into the world if you want to procreate. 
And so I think people will recognize that sooner or later. It's funny you say Sedona just because I've been there so many times. And what always Beautiful. struck me about going to Sedona is, is this. It wasn't the crystals. It wasn't the new age. It wasn't any of those things. Those are almost fictitious. Like when yeah. people go there, it's kind of just like a, a fun thing to yeah. think about. But there are people who take it extremely serious. Very serious. So I'm, I'll be sensitive to that. But the truth is most people go there to see what the beauty of God's creation. Amen. Because it's absolutely beautiful beyond yeah. all of that other fictitious stuff. What really sticks out about Sedona is that God did this and he made it with the flood. That's yeah. Right. Well, like John Piper says, no one goes to the Grand Canyon to increase their self-esteem. <laughs> it doesn't even look real when you're at the Grand Canyon. Uh, yeah. We okay. stopped at Horseshoe Bend on the way here uh -huh. from Utah, and I'm just sitting there yeah. like, wow. How is this real? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever noticed that when you go to Sedona and you see the more like elderly seniors, but they're still new agey, there's an absence of their children and grandchildren? Yes. Yeah, because they didn't have any. They didn't have any. And you even see that now amongst, especially the women who are in the new age, they're all about embracing their divine feminine. But that culture, in a sense, it depopulates itself. It does. Because the men become effeminate. Yes. Uh, they don't act like men. And because that's, like it says, even the effeminate will not inherit the kingdom of God. I was talking with uh, Dale Partridge the other day. Yeah. And he, were he was talking about this. Like when you get the category of people who will not enter the kingdom of heaven, one of them is effeminate. And I think even the, the lens, and even, it's very interesting too, is that in Peter Jones, in his book, One Versus Two, Seeing a World of Difference, he makes a point that Paul's experience, you know, he hit, in Philippians 2, he gives this huge resume of all his, his credentials, yeah. about just being someone who's the top of his class as far as Jewish learners. And you're Jewish too, so you understand like that's cool. Like Paul, yeah. Am I still? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Spiritual Israel. Um, you know, it was interesting yeah. because Paul, you know, you don't realize it's you, like, you know this, but you don't. But Paul primarily in his ministry, he was, he was for, first focused on his kinsmen. He wanted them to be saved. Yeah. He's like, if it was possible, I wish that was a curse. So I could, these people would come to know the Lord. And, but, but eventually he shakes the dust off his feet. Yep. He goes from now on, I'm going to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Cause they're so, willing to hear it. Yeah. But what's interesting though, is that he really just went in with his education uh, with, with twoism and he had to embrace oneism. And so when you see in Romans chapter one, for example, like that's his doctoral thesis on neo-paganism. Like that's, that's what he sees happen. So even when you get a look at the whole creator order in Romans one, like worshiping the creation versus the creator, um, then the, the exact byproduct of that is an immediate willful distortion of God's created order of masculine and feminine. Yes. And so percent. even in, in Corinthians, where it talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. I think that Paul very much knows about, he's talking about the effeminate, because he knows that that's a byproduct of the worldview of oneism, which is in rebellion against God. Yes. Preach. No, I love it. I think Romans 1 is also like the perfect reminder when you're trying to do evangelism to any different type of people group, right? Because New Age people can believe all kinds of different things. And you can kind of get stuck in the weeds if you're trying to learn everything about New Age thought. You, you can't learn it all because you can keep making it up. Like it's hard to right. follow along with it. But the beautiful thing about Romans 1 is it tells you there's only two people groups in the world. There's those who have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and there's those who do not. Yep. And Paul tells you uh, through the Holy Spirit that God is telling you about this person, regardless about what they say they believe, that they don't have peace with God. It's a real so what, thing. So what you appeal to when you're doing evangelism to anybody, whether it be Mormon, New Age, whatever it is, you appeal to them that you know you don't have peace with God. You're trying to do something to obtain that peace with God. But the beautiful thing is, is that Jesus Christ is the one
who can bring you peace with God because he's God who died for you. Yes. Like it's the most beautiful thing that we have in Romans 1. That's what you're reminding me of. Regardless of the yeah. person or people group, what we got to remind ourselves in evangelism, even regardless of what they say about themselves, we need to believe what God says about them. Yeah. Right. What do you think? Um, well, I mean, we talked about your linear testimony in our show. Yeah. Uh, how I met Jesus at Burning Man. Um, and we also talk a little bit with the clips we play from the conversation between Aubrey Marcus and Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And also the great reef. Res- the great reset uh, from a Judeo-Christian society to neo-paganism. Yes. What are some examples maybe we haven't talked about that you see that in the culture? Because you- you're seeing it all around you now that you know the Lord yeah. versus like that old life. Like where, where do you see it like really prominent and taking roots right now? Um, you know, I get a lot of questions lately about yoga. Yeah. Right. Like I think yeah. that's a really big example. And I explained to them like, well, the word yoga means yoke right. means union means union with the divine like you that's what it means like i get this I, I get this question once a week now and i'm like look if you want to stretch stretch but you don't have to put an ideology to it you don't have to yeah. put a cosmology to it um i would say like the word namaste and karma you know those words really penetrating into into american language being so you know um being being said quite often um you know ayahuasca is making a big impact meditation apps like headspace yeah. and clear right that's meditation is about emptying the mind you know versus christian contemplation which is like you take a scripture verse and you and you yeah. turn it over in your mind to let the meaning unfold itself two very different yeah. forms of meditation it's just everywhere it's just you're you're pointing out reiki right yeah. crystals i'm sure aren't going to be far behind you know, because the, the new atheists they had their moment mm-hmm. they had their secular moment dawkins yeah. gone you know sam harris is now gone and so I think what we're going to see is this neo-pagan, as you say, yeah. influx, because as Andrew and I were talking about before you sat down, you have people that are super into scientism, but those same people that are into scientism will be like, they're super into astrology too. Yeah. It's like those two things don't <laughs> go together, right? Yeah. So I think we're going to see more and more of that in open rebellion to God. Like I'll be anything, but not Christian. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even in the, just real, even in the conversation of yoga is that even, even the Christian argumentation, a lot of times they're not self-aware that they're actually arguing the fact that yoga is inherently spiritual. Well, I say, well, well can't you, can't you do like the Christian yoga? And like the, and you see videos where, where it's like, you see videos of like mommy bloggers who are going on and like, participate in the, but they're like singing it they're doing it some sort of like worship song and doing it no like the problem is is like you you, you don't you don't see them doing the same thing with crossfit you don't see them doing the same Cro- thing with, crossfit huh yeah yeah next christian fitness craze that, that might be a cult well, that's, that's another <laughs> it <laughs> is a cult oh yeah israel tried the syncretism they called the golden calf yahweh so yeah, uh, it didn't yeah. didn't work, did it? Yeah, no, but well, like they, didn't work out so well. But yeah. you, but it's like even the Christians realizing are realizing yoga. Like you have like there's a you have to like it's like batteries not included. Like that you have the double A batteries to like the Walkman. Like it's the spiritual component of yoga that's yes. in, that's inescapable. So even yes. Christians who try to justify it, they they try and like whoa. Well, can I well, like when I'm doing hot yoga with everyone else and they do the chavasa? Well, can I just think about God? Like, no. no. And I even realized it too, before I had to study anything about yoga, I had a group on, and I tried hot yoga and I felt 
And it was like, you know, an hour later, you're like just sweating out everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I think I remember when you were working through this mentally, yeah. you were texting me about yoga. Yeah. I think I remember that. Yeah. And I just, um, I remember like, and was, I remember the very first time I ever did like the actual like yoga, um, like at this hot yoga facility. And when I realized what they're doing, I'm like, there's something weird here. I can't put my finger on it. And so I was like, uh, I, I kind of prayed a little bit. Not because I was trying to like justify it, but I kind of was like, there's something off here. I feel weird. I feel really, really weird right now. You're supposed to. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Even now, now I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, even, even in its best moments, yeah. yoga is about clearing the mind. Right. Right. Like, even if you want to strip it of all the spirituality, like, what do people say? Like, oh, I really, I really cleared my mind and feel at peace. Right. Like, it's not that you took in some wisdom or some knowledge or some discipleship. That made you a better person. It's just you just you just got rid of all your cares for a moment, right? You didn't actually receive anything. Now look, there's nothing wrong with peace for what it is, right? But at its best moments, it's just clearing out your mind to make way for something new to come in. That's the part to be careful yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. One thing we talked about just a few minutes ago, just to get back to it, was like the Great Reset. Oh yeah, I think it'd be it's really important for us as Christians to not let the neo pagan revolution try to define terms. Right? Which is as, what they do. As Christians, I would say it's not the great reset. It's the great regret for them. Oh, oh. Because you can't dethrone Christ from his throne. And you can't, you can't hit reset on the Super Nintendo or take out the cartridge of the world and blow, blow in it to try to change what God has done in time. Yeah. Like you can't do that mm. with Christ on the throne. So the, the reality is, is us as Christians need to be here and tell them, you can't reset that. Yeah. You can't take Christ off his throne. Instead, you actually need to humbly bow down and accept the fact that you're going to die one day because the wages of sin is death, which very much proved the very fact that you are just a creation when there is a creator who wants to be worshiped a specific way. It's humility. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus Christ is the greatest example of humility we have, which Absolutely. is the gospel, which is so much better than any pagan thought mm -hmm. that has ever come into existence. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Really? Because like to, to watch the pagans try and justify their worldview as being superior, like it's just not. Oh, it's so much more beautiful. It's like, no, it's not. Yeah. You're saying you don't exist. Right. Like how, what, how there's no you to say anything is beautiful, right? Yeah. Well, Greg Bonson uh is with the Lord now. I mean, he in one of his talks in apologetics about really answering the answering a fool according to his folly, but then answer a fool not according to his folly. Like one example he gave when he, I think he was talking with somebody who was like a Hindu guru. Um, and he was basically saying, uh, like all is one, you know, he comes saying all is yeah. one. And, uh, that's and what they then, all say, right. But the you new, know, Greg Bonson said, great. Give me your wallet. <laughs> okay. Right? And, let's talk about this yeah. then. Because I, 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 because I have a lot of friends who are in the new age and they, they're, they're still friends with me yeah. and they, they're very aware of like version. Yeah. And we get in arguments and they, the, the most that they're able to say is that we live on this plane of reality where everything is two and there's a higher plane of reality where everything is one, but the two is still significant. Right. And that's the most that they can say because we're living on, you know, what fourth dimensional, whatever third dimension, but on the fourth or fifth dimension, everything, everything is one. Like right. twoism is just a useful illusion. Right. That's what they say. And so I have to break that. I have to break that down for them that they still lack the ability to say one thing is different from another. Yeah. If at a higher plane of reality, yeah. it's still like, but that's the best that right. they can do. Well, even in their worldview, and I'm sure these are nice people and you have relationships yeah, yeah. with them. And if they, if they met, if I met with them face to face, I'm sure we'd have a good, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice all conversation. It's all oh yeah. hundred percent. 
I think what you'll end up seeing with people like that is they end up refuting. It's always self-refuting. Yeah. Because they'll say that twoism is an illusion. Well, everything in their worldview assumes twoism, which means that everything they're saying is illusion. So essentially, they're saying nothing at all. So in other words, when they're talking about the need for human dignity uh, to treat each other well, yeah. you're arguing for twoism. That's right. Because you're because what you're doing, you're, like, pray, you're also you're imaging God by saying this person has unique dignity, value, and worth, and this person needs to talk to this person this way. Well, you're presuming categorical distinctions between the two. And you're also assuming that there's a binding ethic that you're supposed that binds the both of them. There you go. That's the phrase. But, but according, ethic. but according to the worldview, ultimately, in oneism, all is self. The binding ethic is no different from this person talking to that person. And so, if they're going to argue that all is self and that twoism is an illusion, then they're saying nothing at all. They think they're saying some pretty profound stuff. They they think so. <laughs> But I mean, that's the thing. And this is the thing, too, is that you have to just show them the absurdity of the, You have to show them that any view outside of Christ being the center of the truth, being where all the treasures of wisdom of, of knowledge are hidden, like that leads to absurdity, um, ultimately. And, and it's also an interesting area because you might even have friends who are listening in. Like when I'm talking. Probably. I, yeah. I mean, if I was talking to them, like. I like I love these people. It's and, not about the people. Yeah. It's about it's about the worldview. Yeah, it's, it's the, yeah, yeah. We're it's all the, open to questioning. Yeah, and it's their worldview. And I think this is an area where like I don't I don't care about being right. I don't need to be right. Like I want these people to know Christ. Yeah. And like I was is interesting. I was talking with a friend of mine. Uh, I was actually a friend of mine. Her cousin is Muslim, and we had this amazing like five hour conversation of like who Jesus is. Uh, whether or not he was a son of God. And it was interesting. It was right around the time that they go to Mecca. And so we were actually talking. It was a different time zone. So it was like super, super early in the morning. And he hadn't eaten and however long you eat because it was Ramadan. Yeah. And literally, he like he, they went to go say their prayers, uh, to, like to, to the call to prayer early in the morning. And they came back and they both were like having sandwiches because they were starving because oh. they, they had just fasted. But it was interesting. Like, we had this conversation. Like All I want to do is share the gospel like with these two guys. And it was interesting because one guy, like he only knew Arabic, but the other person knew English. Now like he only knew a little bit English. So he was basically translating for him. So I explained like John three sixteen, and the guy heard it. And then he, tr this guy who's Muslim translated in Arabic, John three sixteen to this guy who was Muslim. It mm -hmm. was the most amazing conversation. That's beautiful. But then apparently, you know, later on, uh, you know, I guess uh, my friend, said, oh, yeah, my cousin, by the way, he like, I guess he went bragging that like, he totally destroyed you in the debate. You know, he totally beat you. And like, do you know, what I felt nothing. I yeah. don't care. Like, I That's want not this what guy, it's about. It's not scoring I, points. Yeah. I want this guy to know the Lord. And like, I'll be as wrong as I need to. Be. Like, I don't care about that. I want him to know Christ. And, yeah. and this is the same thing, too, like with your friends. Like, um, I want to show that these are these are very smart, intelligent, uh, well-meaning, like loving people. Absolutely. But the question is, how do you give an accounting for that? How do you account for the fact that I need to talk to you? Like they're very emotionally sensitive. Many of them are. And but even even their emotional sensitiveness means it presupposes an ethic of how you're supposed to talk. Like there's a difference between uh, me if I'm talking to you right now and I say, you know, I kind of disagree with you versus like. I disagree with you. Now, if I say in a the same words, Don't you talk to me like that, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. And it's just, there's a difference between yeah. how you conduct yourself. And there's times, you know, the times where someone is 
talking to you and even though it's not there's no physical altercation it feels like that finger sticking in your chest that can happen both in in person and on social media yeah and if your friends are listening to this like they know that like so their their emotional sensitivity to how we treat each other that presupposes a binding ethic that they cannot give an accounting for in a worldview of oneism it presupposes human dignity it presupposes distinction categorical distinctions which you can't give an accounting for in oneism because all is one mm-hmm. and there's no there's no accounting for you can't you can't play you can't all of a sudden argue for oneism but then argue and then step over and say twoism so now it's convenient yeah so like in this effort to justify their own worldview it's like they have to try and uh, go and jump into our vehicle and drive it off the road because they have no car to drive of their own. Yeah, it's it's like if there's this twoism twoism right now, and at the higher level is a oneism. You ask the questions, then why am I here? Where am I going? What is the purpose in life? Right. Why do I die? It doesn't give any answers why to any of those things. Why do we suffer? Um, why do I care about right and wrong? Because with regards to all is self. I mean, one is three, three is eight, blue is red. You know what I mean? Good is bad. Bad is good. None of those things can hold the test of logical consistency within the world that we live in. Like this chair and you have no difference between one another. Uh, both will be at one thing at one time. But the truth is, is that regardless of what the person says that they're believing, they have to deal with the words of Jesus. Yes. I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He's not presupposing a collective consciousness, a realm of cosmic soup, of a higher level of thinking. He's saying there is someone out there named the Father, and you cannot come to him unless you come through me. And that's a claim of divinity that actually has to be dealt with in the realm that they're living in today. So the the great demonic uh, lie is the fact that deception is distraction and you can only be distracted so long until you're going to face the end of your life and then you're going to meet your creator so distraction is a real thing two philosophers can argue until the ship sinks but when the ship sinks and they both die they meet jesus right you know like that's the reality of the human condition is that we die the wages of sin is death therefore god exists and we have defied a thrice holy god and we will meet him one day and i pray to god that Jesus will cover them for their sins. These people that are in your life that they turn to the true and living God. So when they meet him, they can just embrace the arms of their creator and he'll say, well done, good yeah. and faithful servant, you know? Yeah. Amen. For like your friends, when they think about Christianity, like do they, is it, do they feel like that's some sort of like conspiratorial, like group of controllers who are trying to keep them from understanding this knowledge or like what's their perception when it comes to like that because they, they always argue that we're 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 very fear-based and they mm. talk about and that kind of gets you out of being you know it it unaligns you you know that's right. some of the language that's used like what do you what do you say i don't I, you know i don't know um i'd have to ask i think that if i had to guess a lot of people think that christianity is just one of the many paths to god Right. Yeah. You know, there's that there's that viewpoint. Um, but I, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that really the, the new age is a cult. And, and the, the, the best definition, the first definition of cult I ever heard is that you get shamed when you leave. Mm. Like when you leave, when you leave the cult, you lose everything. Yeah. Right. Like I was talking to um, a couple guys down the hall about Mormonism. 
you know, about like, it's not necessarily that everyone who's Mormon believes all the Mormon theology. As you look at it, that sounds, you know, some of that sounds pretty weird, right? But it's that it involves their families, it involves their businesses, it involves their homes, their neighborhoods, their neighbors, their, 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 their finances and their future. And so if you leave, the massive penalty gets paid when you leave. And that's how you know it's a cult, right? When you, we experience that. And I think that there's a lot of the new age that's like that, that people build social relationships, businesses, you know, relationships, other stuff like that. So that if they leave, particularly if the man leaves, right? The new age is a, is a spirituality that's very friendly to women. Be whatever you want to be yeah. and be in charge. You get to be the boss. Yeah. You're encouraged. You're encouraged to be the boss. If the man wants to leave and be like, no, I actually want to be the boss in this way, in the, in the image of a, of a masculine God who reveals himself as father, you know, that's not something that many women are willing to pay the price for. They don't want to go that way. Women without fathers. Women without fathers. Yeah. Or, or women with bad fathers or, or sometimes, sometimes it's just a characterological thing that's developed over time. And so that like, like romantic relationship, like Aubrey Marcus, I think is part of this, like his yeah. wife's Vilana or something like yeah. that. Like, you know, I, I just don't think like, even if we were to sit down, if Aubrey Marcus would be right here yeah. right now, and we were just preach the pure gospel, like bring in Toby and Jeff and mm. Joe boot, just like laying it on him. You know yeah. what I mean? At the final analysis, he'd be like, if I were to go this way, I'm, I'm speculating. And this isn't even about him. Right. I don't want to make it about any individual, but it's like, I'll lose my wife. Right. Cause she's not going to come along to reinvert the polarity of the relationship. And that I think yeah. is, I think that's a really, and, and, and now expand that out to friends, best friends, maybe not necessarily always family members, but that. And so it's like, you feel this call. It's like, do you want the truth or do you want to belong? Now, like I, that, that sounds harsher than I, than I mean, than I mean it to, but I can mm -hmm. say that that's the choice that I faced. It was like, do I want to know the truth and continue on this journey of truth that I've been following for 30 years? Right. Or do I care about people's acceptance of me? Yeah. I chose the truth. Dude, that's, that's powerful. Cause you know, Jesus anticipates that he says, yes, no one who doesn't leave thing. family, you know, brother, sister, mother won't inherit a hundredfold in the kingdom of heaven. But what we think about is Lot's wife. You know, like when they were yeah. leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, she looked back. Yeah. And she turned into a pillar of salt. And that's why Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Because the sad reality is a lot of people count the cost. Yeah. And they say the things of this world and the pleasures of this life are so much greater than eternal life with my creator. Yeah. And it's a, it's a knowledge, a knowing and not ignorance, but it's knowing and then turning away from the true and living God. It's a heavy, heavy thing to behold. And that's, that's what happened to Lot's wife. She turned into a pillar of salt. But like you said, man, you saw it, you counted the cost and you said, Jesus, you are so much greater than any of those things. And that's yeah. literally a miracle. It's a miracle because even Solomon, man, he experienced all of it. Yeah. And then he mm -hmm. said, I repent. Yeah. And he writes Ecclesiastes. Yeah. And yeah. he gives the world's best apologetic for anything, for anything. Ecclesiastes is the first pre-sup book ever written in, in terms of apologetics because he did it all. And he said, all of it was meaningless, the chasing of the wind without yeah. God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Straight Amen. up. Yeah. I mean, even like in your podcast, the Renaissance of men, you're really trying to embrace like biblical masculinity, but you yes. also, you've had a lot of female guests as well too. Yeah. Talking about authentic femininity and in the same way, how the, this 
effort to try and feminize the men is create this vacuum of like hunger. That's why you see the all those. Like, we're just talking about. Yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. So you see like, even like those men's conferences of all these like gurus who are kind <laughs> of like, it's like basically if like, it's like the monster energy drink. It's like the monster energy drink of like biblical masculinity. Like a lot of these guys, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just don't know. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're ultimately godless, right? Yeah. They walk, they, they discover the image of, of things being the right, the properly mm-hmm. you know, oriented way. But then right. they just can't take that step beyond into right. Christianity. They just won't. They won't. Yeah. Right? And, and that's think, happening right yeah, now. It's bad. Yeah. And this is just something like these, you know, you see these conferences everywhere, but you also have, you know, men who pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to try and learn how to talk to a woman, learn how to like learn how to be a pickup artist. And a lot of it comes from the fact that they they have this innate wiring that I'm supposed to be a man and pursue a woman and and do this thing, but they were never they never had a father to instruct them. Right. So now all these, all these years later, they they're vicariously, you know, paying thousands of dollars to find like this sort of pseudo father figure to teach them how to also do a pseudo version of how to pursue a woman. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. And this is just me thinking out loud, but then also when you talk to like femininity, like kind of going back into the new age is that I've seen another pendulum swing, like, for people, there's plenty for the people. I know plenty of people who are very much like Aubrey Marcus's wife, that, that doing that. I'm the goddess. I'm you know I'm I'm like sort of wearing the pants as far as being masculine. Right. Um, but when they get saved, there's this huge pendulum swing. So they all of a sudden go from being like, I just want to be this divine goddess to be like, all you want. It's literally is like, and I told you on the podcast, all they want to do is like be a homemaker, like bake bread get married, have a husband, like have babies and like be a nurturer. Like it's, it's like that on steroids. Like, and I see that and it's, it's just, it's amazing to see that transformation. Um, and and, and again, that's just something you see like in this, my perspective of like talking to people who come out of the new age, Mm -hmm. like you start to see like, you you knew, like when you talk to different men, you start to see behavior patterns and in that you start to collect data in the same way how earlier i was talking about the pendulum swing when people get saved how they tend to think the devil's and everything when it comes to women who get out of the new age like this said they embrace biblical femininity like on, at like a accelerated rate <laughs> yeah if that's the way i can describe it. what do you think about that well because they're returning to their feminine nature they've lived out of alignment yeah. for so long like it's 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 actually i don't think it's a pendulum swing so much as like this gravitational attraction, right? There's this thing in the center yeah. and it's gravitationally that their authentic biblical f- femininity, their created design. And so they've lived out of alignment. And when they finally let go, it just pulls them towards that, that who they actually are. And for men too. In fact, you said something that blew my mind, like men looking for these fathers to teach them how to pick up women. In fact, it's like, it's actually, there's more dimensions to it because there is that, but it's this authentic need to, to procreate, to find a woman, right? right? But it's slid into into pickup, right? Into fornication. And you have men that want to create prosperity and it's slid into get rich quick schemes. Mm-hmm. You know, and you have men that want to have um that want to have um that want to have efficacy in the world and it's slid into like crazy levels of fitness, right? So it's taking these biblical godly desires and taking them in this unhealthy direction. Mm-hmm. That's the direction that men are going with like the manosphere and all of these men's conferences. Yeah. When biblical masculinity is the actual answer, yeah. it's the healthy version of all of that. And so that's happening with women as yeah. well. So I talk about the renaissance of men and the renaissance of women, which are some of my most popular episodes. Because yeah. men want to know that there are godly women out there. Because yeah. otherwise, yeah. without women, it's pointless, is right. what I say. And that's what's interesting is that you'll even see in the manosphere, 
you'll see a lot That's of them. That's a cult for you to start taking oh, apart. I, I would love to do that. I'm, Dude, I'm talking like a foster about it. Do That'd it, be do fun. it, do it. Um, but there is, but even in that sphere, like you see them as far as like the cultural pushback towards the blurring of genders and the feminism, like, like in the, even the secular world is like pushing back on that because they just were like, like, like something's off kind of like in the same way. Like I don't have to be a Christian to all of a sudden like tweak my back and be like, ah, that's something's off. I need to align something here. Yeah. So you'll even see a lot of them sort of argue for like a pseudo complementarianism where it's like, no, actually men and women are different, but we're equal. Like it's, she has get she can see things that I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I, and I've really, and even for my world, like I'm a Christian. So like I'm getting, you know, married in a couple of weeks, but just in this process of Praise this you know, relationship and, um, like I'm realizing that, man, we are so different, but there's, <laughs> but it's just like, and even like, this is a funny little thing, um, is that, uh, this is one of my weaknesses. I'm, I'm very creative. I'm very like visionary. And you even seem to like, sometimes my brain goes all over the place mm-hmm. that sometimes comes about as a consequence is like, I'll leave stuff around. I'll leave stuff out. Sure. I'll like, I'll eat and I'll put down a dirty napkin, but I forget to throw it away. It's, yeah. Um, so even I can give you an alternate explanation for that, but yeah. go ahead. <laughs> no, really, really. Yeah. That's but a good just, one. I'll just give you an example. I mean, I, I, like, I love her and I was like, I, I walked away just like when I, we went and got lunch uh, we were watching, um, I think it was Toby Sumter talking and I'm sitting there eating my hamburger and I have my napkins there and I'm just, oh yeah, it's time to do the podcast. It's like time to walk you to your car because you're leaving. And then all of a sudden I see her, she's like picking up the stuff that I left out. But in my mind, I totally forgot. Like yeah. I wasn't trying to be messy, but I'm, I'm like thinking about talking to you. Mm-hmm. And so I mean to say is that she can, like she sees things I don't. Like she has this ability of like, find out the truth in ways that I'm like, Oh, Oh my gosh. But it's like, I, but I realize like that comes together, like in a household in such an amazing and like beautiful way. And it's, I, I'll get back to you maybe like a year into like yeah. being married, but it, it goes to show that, you know, from my perspective, I'm learning that, but I'm learning it through a lens of like, no, there's a way that God created the world. Like God created me to be a man, to be a protector, to be a provider, to work hard. Mm-hmm. Like, even if my podcast can't cover all the bills, I might need to get a second job or do what's not like the, for my, that's my first ministry. Yeah. And then her role is to be a nurturer, to be a provider, yes. to make sure this household is clean and it's welcoming towards guests and that, you know, when it's supportive the ch- for children. Yeah. And like when her, ch- when the children come home, there's so many children in the world right now that they come to their own home and it's a place of fear. Yep. There's, there's a, there's a, you know, they're, they're like, you think about all the stories of like, and I had friends growing up where like you're up in your room and you're looked and you all of a sudden downstairs, you can hear the yelling in the kitchen back and forth and it's escalating. And like the fear those kids are having, like in their bunk bed, like that's, that's a distortion of the way God created the world. Yeah. And it is just interesting to see, like I said, the, the push, the secular pushback. Cause even they, even that manosphere just, what they get right is they understand that's wrong and they're pushing back. Yes. They just, they're pushing back in pseudo ways and, and like looking towards like pseudo. Yeah. They're, they're, they're looking, it's a pseudo patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, you're going to say about leaving stuff out. What, what was your thoughts on that? Oh, well, there's a great book. Um, one, my top podcast of all time is with um, a woman named Alison Armstrong. Wow. We've been talking for an hour. Sweet. Yeah. Let's go. Her let's name, keep on going. Uh, um, her name is Alison Armstrong and she wrote a book called the queen's code. Now she's not Christian. Uh-huh. Um, 
it's a really wonderful book about how um, women can learn to relate to men. She wrote it. She's been studying men for 30 years, and she has a deep appreciation and love for men. And she wrote a book for women to help them understand how men are different. And one of the things that she says is that men are single focused in their thinking and women are diffuse awareness. Mm -hmm. So man needs to be single focused to focus on his task, whatever that is, right? Craftsmanship or whatever, like very lasered in on a task. And that's how a man naturally thinks. Mm -hmm. Screens out everything that's irrelevant to the completion of the task, whatever the task is in the moment. Versus women have a have a broader, more diffuse awareness of their of their environment yeah. to a degree that we would probably find uncomfortable. Now you can mm. see how these two ways of being in a couple in a marriage would be really helpful because yeah. while the man's single focus on on the thing directly in front of him, like the woman's aware of everything around, so you have total <laughs> awareness, right? Yeah. And so so what you see in yourself is like, oh, I'm spacey. It's like no, you could just be focused on the next task at hand, and so you go about doing that right. thing. And forget about the napkin, which isn't relevant to the next task that you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas she's aware of that environment, and that's that's her role, I guess you say. That's how her brain works. Yeah. So our brains perceive reality yeah. differently mm-hmm. in, a, in a in a complementary and mutually supportive yeah. way, right? Wow. And that it's a it's an incre- it's an incredible book. It's an incredible yeah. book. That's so, so cool because like I, I'm thinking like even right now, I was like oh, like that's just what I did. But even when you explain that on a deeper level, it shows that even for this guest of yours, who's not in a Christian, she's still, she's still made the image of God. She, yeah. she understands like, okay, there's, there's an order here yeah. and I'm doing my best to explain it. But even as something as like minuscule as me leaving a napkin out and her picking up after me, yeah. like that could be like, you know, minuscule or even like, as a, even as a man, that could be like annoying where it's like, Oh, I left something out, but it's like, no, you're actually seeing like this is part of the way in the same way how that doesn't mean you can just leave napkins around everywhere sorry honey i'm being a single focused but like there's but there's just there's like a way that the world is like andrew's wife is laughing in the background yeah yeah. um but like there is you know you look at the intricacies of like the ocean like there's certain like uh creatures and like their role is like they go around the bottom of the ocean they like pick up they're like little roombas yeah they're like little roombas of the ocean and like that like God made that for that specific way. Yeah. And in the same way, like something like having that instinctive likeness to pick up, like that's like, yeah, you, you see just the created order. It's like this amazing, like, Oh wow, God, you're so amazing. Yeah. And something as minuscule as getting a dirty napkin picked up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're Andrew, you're the married man. Like, yeah, let's, let's hear, let's hear your, I'm not married. Yeah. Oh. He's about to get married. <laughs> yeah. I oh. know nothing. Teach me. Oh yes. yeah. Um, First of all, I think the be- the biggest thing about marriage is first focusing on Jesus Christ as the head of even your relationship because Amen. forgiveness is one of the most biggest things that should be done in a marriage because when you get two sinners together, it doesn't make a perfection apart from Christ. Right. right? So even though we have our complementary natures, uh, none of those mean anything unless we put Jesus as first because you'll just argue and bicker with one another right. all the time. Uh, so Jesus has to be the head of the relationship. Forgiveness has to be part of that unity through Christ. But we were talking, which is really interesting to me, about even men, women, what it means to be human. These things in general can only be understood through Christ. Like we can't even understand what it means to be a man or human in general apart from Jesus, right? Like he gives us the definition of what it even means through the created order, what Jerry was talking about. Like we're such selfish human beings because of the fall, right? We're ish. We're an ish of the self. We always think about ourselves, but Jesus is always telling us to be selfless, you know, to pick up our cross, 
follow him, to die to ourselves, to love our neighbors. Uh, and what, what that shows us is that through the fall, what sin creates in us is something that doesn't understand the created order anymore. Like we get the knowledge of good and evil, but we lose the wisdom to discern between the two. And we think that our own wisdom is better than God's wisdom. And then we don't even know what it means to be human anymore, meaning that we don't know what it means to be male. We don't know what it means to be female. And we think we can figure it out on our own. And really to understand self, you must first give yourself selfishness up and follow God. Right. Like the power, the, the spirit of God brings power, love, and a sound mind. And how are we going to have a world that we want order in as Christians if we're not being the salt and light to the world? Because the ones with a sound mind are the ones who should actually be speaking that into the world when the biggest problem we have recently, I'd say within the last 90 or 100 years, is Christians are silent. Yes. They've abdicated the authority that God has given them and let those that don't have a sound mind be speaking the loudest. Right. You know, now yeah. it just creates a bunch of confusion. They've lost Christians have lost their backbone. Yeah. And and as a result, uh, American culture has lost its its architecture. Exactly. Right? It's, it's turned to it's turned to jelly. Right? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. That's one ism. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And yeah, even, really. um, we had uh, it's interesting because at the time I was working with uh, Darren Doan up in Moscow, Idaho. Uh, and he's done a lot of different films like Collision. Uh, yeah. That's articulating Christopher Hitchens and Douglas Wilson. Um, so I worked with him for about a year. And he was on my podcast because I was actually working with him with a client. And the news came in about Gina Carano being fired from Disney, from Star Wars The Mandalorian. Yeah. For, you know, for yeah. just some meme or whatever that she had shared. Yeah, yeah. And so we actually, I, it was one of those moments where I was like, actually, I think this is a bunch of BS, like that this happened. But instead of me just, you know, airing my dirty laundry on my personal page. Let's do a podcast. Let's get Darren on. Okay. And so, but it was cool because we got to get, you know, 14,000 people in the first week to listen to it. So you got to amplify your voice. It's one of the beauty of podcasting. You know, we yeah. can, you, you state this opinion and, and it'll get downloaded hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Um, but one of the things you said in there is that you said like the, having a backbone is the new orthodoxy. Right. Having a back having a backbone is the new orthodoxy and that just you need that like and that's the thing too is that so many times we get so plagued in the fear of what people think about us rather than understanding like michael foster talked about the gravitas that we have as men like trust in the lord with all your heart lean not unto your own understanding like what trust in the lord and as a man let the world Feel the freaking gravitas of who you are mm. and let them deal with it. Like, and I've realized that. And when you state your opinion and you push back, everyone wants you to be a nice guy and yep. push back. And even in the area of like, um, you know, this, this discussion we had about Halloween, like one people were like taken back by the position that we took. And then when you got the bash, like we, we pushed back hard. And but not in a way that was sinful. Right. Then people thought that all just because we pushed back that somehow that was us being ungodly. And even apart from the Halloween conversation, even a lot of Christians will look at somebody who's a man in the arena, like speaking out against the culture when they push back or they speak with a serrated edge, like that that's that that's that's kind of mean, you know. And 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 this and this goes across all boundaries, whether you're in the workplace, um, whether it's uh you know, say say you're in business and you're dealing with a you're dealing with a merchant and a vendor, and even if someone is listening in, they're not, even not a Christian. There's a time, let's just say, where somebody is doing business with you, 
but they short you a little bit. Yeah. And, but they're, they're kind of doing it and you know, when they're doing it, but sometimes where it's an honest mistake. Yeah. But there's times where they're doing it to short you and they know it. Yep. And they use the catalyst as you being a nice guy as a way to say, now I can get away with this. Right. Um, Take advantage of you. Right. So you have a right to like know and like to push back and just lay down the law and be with direct and executive communication, be authoritative about the ethics of our agreement of what this transaction was going to be uh, without any sort of and, and in no ways have it be sin. In fact, it would be sin not to do that. Right. Um, and, and that's just something that a lot and I'm learning. I'm 41 years old. I'm I'm learning. I'm 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 learning. I'm relearning and I'm unlearning like all at the same time. Yes. Um, and that's going to be like that. And I'm going to be drinking from the fire hose with that once I get married too. Because that'll, that'll be the situation 24-7. Yeah. Effective, intelligent, calibrated, forceful communication. Incredibly yeah. difficult. It's yeah. very, very difficult. And the demand is higher than ever mm-hmm. to know how to speak truth quietly, clearly, and effectively yeah. in a way that isn't personal. Yeah. Someone's, you know, someone tries to short you Right. And you get a sense that they're trying to do it because they think that they can get away with it because it's you like you mm-hmm. wouldn't do it to that guy. You're doing it to me. It's hard not to take that personally. It is personal. But then to respond in a way that isn't personal, calibrated in the right. moment to be effective is very difficult. Yeah, it's very difficult. And the pressure is on higher than ever. Mm-hmm. Right. But I mean, I think that that comes from, like you said, a sense of gravitas. Yeah. A sense it, of integrity and self-respect. Right. For 360 degrees in your life. Yeah. And, and you, you have the words. Yeah. And you have to do that because just with internet and social media communication, like we're having a conversation right now. And it's kind of cool even not being behind a microphone. Right. I uh, mean, not having the headset on because now we're hearing our voices like as they are yeah. versus like not behind a microphone. But so much of social media communi- uh, communication is, is one, it's artificial. Right. But so many times on social media, people hear what they want to hear, they misread something all the time. And the reality is that you're not entitled to explain yourself to someone who's committed to misunderstanding you. Oh yeah. Um, so even something that Michael Foster said the other day, where is he talked about the power of like not having to have the last word. Yeah. Um, I like I was on a Facebook post um, calling someone out on something that I thought was wrong. This person was bearing false witness. I laid out my two cents. They tried to, and then a couple of people saw that I disagree with them. They know they know who I am. Um, I laid down the gravitas of how I felt. You know what I did after that? I turned off the notifications on yeah. that post. I removed any notification of this person mentioning me in a comment. You know why? Because I was done. Yeah. Like I don't need, I don't care whatever they had, you know? And I think that is something when it comes to it's a kindness to yourself. It, yeah. It's a kindness to yourself. And it's a matter of also like self-respect, not that I'm self-centered. Right. Um, it ultimately, it's, this is how God is something that gives glory to God. We're supposed to glorify God with everything, both in how we communicate, um, you know, both in person and also like in the online world as world as well too. Right. So yeah, there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot to learn, but, um, anyways, <laughs> no, what are your thoughts? I'm just sitting here learning from you guys. So yeah. I, I love that. That's great. It, it had me thinking like we live in this weird culture where, you know, I came out of working from like a fortune 50 company you know, before I went into full-time industry, going out to Utah and working with cultish. And it seems like what's going on is there's a culture that is uh, creating, of course, effeminate men or people that are ruled by their emotions. But then there's also this uh, dichotomy that's created where there's also the, the criminal side and the criminal world is getting larger as well. And the criminal world loves to take advantage of those who feel 
extremely emotional or the arguments in sense where this person's robbing you because they weren't given the ability to have the things you have in life. Therefore, they're taking from you. So you don't have the right to judge them, even though they're stealing from you. Right. So we live in this really weird dichotomy that the world's created to where we don't know how to handle a situation where, like he was saying, if someone shorts you, well, the Bible says that they're mm-hmm. dealing in unjust weights and measures. Yeah. So it's not just your opinion when you tell them this isn't what's supposed to happen. It's yeah. the God who's going to judge you says is you shouldn't act this way. Right. So it's not that, yes, it's a big man to be able to say that to somebody, but what's better is the biggest man is God. And he's the one who says, I will give you, you know, there will be justice occurring cosmically from God for what you've done. And you're being a big man by saying, Hey, I don't want that for you as well. Although you shorted from me, I care about you enough to tell you that, Hey, you're going to be judged for this. Right. And that's almost like putting, heaping hot hot coals upon someone who's trying to steal from you's head. But the culture we live in today doesn't even have the ability to love their neighbor when they're being shorted. Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but the Christian has the ability to actually love their neighbor when someone's even trying to steal from them. Because they have the objective standard to say, I don't like that. I don't like what you did to me. Restitution needs to occur. But guess what? You can be free from your sin by following Jesus Christ. See, that's great. Because it, because the most loving thing you can say to somebody is the truth. Uh, yeah. Right? And, and um, by sharing the truth with them in that situation, you're being loving and forceful and saying, I'm holding you to account at the same time. Brilliant. That's good. I'm the one learning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you think like when you when we covered a lot in your story but it was very a bit, yeah yeah but it was very linear, but it was very much like like the bullet points kind of like how we yeah. talked about it. it just so happens that there was so much that we studied that we had studied that we wanted to talk about with Ali but we were like having to rush through the bullet points yeah um but in the same way like even the very basic part, linear parts of your testimony were just like bullet points like what do you think aside from what we talked about which some of you may have heard in our interview with you. We'll link like, to it in the show notes. Oh yeah. What are some, what are some other areas that you think are, you haven't talked about like directly? I think we, if we were like, if we did an episode tomorrow, um, like on cultish and, but it's specifically like a topic mm-hmm. that you have experience in, what would be most important? Um, I can give you three answers to that. Okay. The first one would be the, the, the Kumela Hindu festival in 2019, which was the gathering of 190 million Hindus at the Ganges yeah. river. Um, yeah, yeah, Ooh. yeah. So there was that, which is wow. like it's like the it's like the Hindu central gathering. Like it's yeah. the thing, like general conference of the Mormons, or you know, times a million. Yeah, times, yeah, the Hindu burning Yeah, exactly, Hindu yeah. burning man. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so I talk about that. I would talk about my experiences doing a, a Buddhist vipassana meditation retreat in Kashmir, which is near Pakistan, and that's like ten hours of meditation a day for ten days. Um, and that there was that. And then I would talk about my experience doing, um, it's called Bufo alvarius. It's the, it's the venom of a Sonoran desert toad. So oh, you, so yeah. you scrape that off and then you smoke it. It's DMT essentially. And, and, and what happened to me on, on that trip, I would talk about those three things, yeah. which were <laughs> yeah, a lot. Well, I'll, yeah. What about, um, and this is something I think we would be good to talk about too, but this is somewhere that people go, especially those who, have a Jewish background. You experience oh, this too. Yeah, that too. Uh, the, the, the Kabbalah. Oh yeah. Um, that would be another one. Yeah. Cause that's, I think that'd be a good one to tap into at some point as well too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the, the tarot, tarot, alchemy, astrology, the Kabbalah, all that stuff. I can talk about that at length too. Mm-hmm. Like the thing is we covered so much in our conversation 
And then when I think about how much else there is in my yeah. story, I'm, I'm a little, little blown away and a little scared. Like yeah. it's a little, it's like to look at that and like, how did I do all that stuff and, and make it out? Yeah. Right. Like we were talking about that earlier, like, the but God, the, yeah, exactly. But, but God, absolutely. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so yeah, I would, I would yeah. enjoy talking about all this mm-hmm. stuff because it's, it's super. And, and one of the things that I had to be really careful of uh, going on cultish like, before I sat down to actually talk, was like, I want to make sure that I talk about these things in such a way that demonstrates like, yeah, I had authentic enthusiasm for these things. Like I enjoyed mm-hmm. Yeah. I enjoy at the time, right? And there are parts of my life, but like I don't want to, I don't want my enthusiasm to be infectious. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, look, I have a sober-minded view of these things, but I'm genuinely interested in the topics, mm-hmm. right? And so to be calibrated in that way, right? To say, like, yeah, this is really interesting and it's so fallen, <laughs> right? Yeah. So yeah. No, I think there's like there's a balance between like, yeah, you know, even we were kind of like reveling in the past, like, you know, I can't believe I almost died. Which everyone right, does. Right, like, yeah, guy, don't like, go try and die. There's so a reason like why guys in the military have like dark humor. Like right. it's just it's a coping mechanism, right. like in a sense. Um, but just maybe uh, and I'll I'll let you up to is when you whenever you want to wrap up, we'll wrap up. But yeah, just yeah. like if we did it now, just to kind of circle back in the finality and, and even because we're talking about one ism and two ism. Yeah. And even when and I think about like your whole testimony, which you can you only got the bullet points of, and it's that it's people who People in the new age who try everything, yeah, and then they come to Jesus, uh, and all of a sudden Jesus is everything to them. Mm-hmm. And this isn't my truth. This is just this isn't just the latest thing that worked for me. It's like you see this like a person who's walking in a desert and is like all of a sudden it's like they're just drinking from this fresh water Very much. when they're dehydrated, and like being part of it has to do when it comes down to worldview. Because again, in oneism, like the whole idea is to ascend, is yes. to ascend and get outside of the self. But the only problem is, is that when all is one, when all is self, you're on a circ- you're on a never-ending circular hamster wheel, yeah. and it's exhausting. And yeah, if you- you're and if you're listening to me and you're practicing this right now, you can put on a face of you having it all together, but you're tired, you're exhausted, and you know it. You've got like you are, you don't know. You're fighting against gravity. Like, like, like the women, the women, you know, who are like, who are being the boss babe you, fighting against yeah. femininity. Yeah. You, you may think that you have it together, but even athletes like Michael Johnson, who guys who run triathlons, eventually they have to like stop and yeah. like gas for air. Like eventually something has to give. And what's the distinction between twoism? Twoism is the only way that you can ascend. And the only way that you can ascend is by, Put it, it, it yeah, it, yeah, is well, is by uh, putting your faith and trust in the one who ascended first, yeah. who ascended uh, to sit at the right hand of the Father. Like that's that's the ultimate trip of the human soul is to have is to know is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what you're trying to do is for anyone who's in your audience is that you're trying like in Jesus Christ is everything that you're grasping at straws in to get in the new ways. That's why you're so tired. And that's why you see people who are in the new, who come out of the new age, who come to Christ. And I've seen it. There's this, I can't, this is here. It's everything. It's everything I've ever looked for. And, and yeah, Yeah. so I think for anyone, you know, you may be a skeptic. You mean, you may have trauma. You might have skepticism. Maybe you came from a religiously abusive environment. Um, I would say that, you know, look, this, you don't look at an organization. I mean, God obviously has his church. You need to be in a place with elders and that sort of stuff. When you look at 
Um, like just this isn't this isn't an obscure idea. This isn't just some sort of alternative form of spirituality. This is a real person, the real historical Jesus of Nazareth, who is God come in the flesh. Um, I would say, regardless of your background is, regardless if you have spiritual or religious trauma, like go pick up a gospel, go pick up a, a Bible, um, whatever translation, uh, maybe like ESV. That's I like that mm-hmm. version. Um, it's readable. Like the, yeah, like read the Gospel of John. Yep. And honestly, here's a way that I would say: try this type of ascension. Try to ascend this way. Read the Gospel of John. Pray. Pray, and then. Because like in Acts 17, like Paul was like in this amazing moment, and this is a place of like paganism in the ancient world. Like Paul's going in the going through Athens, Greece, and he's like grieved because he sees the city that's full of idols. And then he ends up in this place in the Areopagus where there are uh, these different philosophers and Stoics and all these different people. He begins to argue and to reason with them. And all of a sudden, like, we want to hear what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Something so, new. Yeah. So there he is. And he says, man of Athens, I see that you're this, you have this amazing, like religious, uh, you're very religious and you're very spiritual because you have this uh, altar to the unknown God. I want to proclaim that God for you. And I love this one part of that whole talk. And you can read it in Acts chapter 17, where he said, basically paraphrasing it, he says, he's made, he's, he's put himself in a position now where God was only with the covenant people of Israel, but now he's in such a place where people might like reach out for him and and perhaps even find him because he's not far from each one of us. So what I want to tell anyone in the new age is that the God of heaven and earth is, is and God is love. And we, we know that inherently, but the only way to experience that love is through reconciliation through having your sins forgiven on the cross. Um, and, and that's the thing too, like your journey out of the new age was understanding. They don't know what to do with sin. They don't know it in like, you know, you can mention that because of the NT right book. Um, and Oh, sin. Yeah. 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 And yeah. evil. Yeah. Right. And, and that's why I think many people who are in the new age, they have this haunting specter of guilt that follows them around. They don't know what to do with it. They can't give an accounting for that. So the beauty of the good news of Jesus is that it's not just that you have your sins forgiven. It's that you get God. Yeah. And it's, and And I think it's, and you see, you see desiring to sin in the first place. Yeah. And that's why it says Christ died for our sins to bring us to God. So I would just say for anyone again, um, if, like try to ascend this way, read the gospel of John. It's the, it's, it's, it's God's theonosop. It's God's words. It's God breathed. And it's the accounting of what Jesus of Nazareth, God in the flesh did um, here. And then pray, like ask him to reveal himself. And and God promises he'll do that. And that's why Jesus gives the illustration. If a man asks for, you know, a piece of bread, will he give him a stone? If he asks for water, will he give him a serpent? In the same way of like, if he, God is a good father, if you ask him, he will give it to you. Yeah. Amen. Man, that's good, man. Uh, how do you follow something like that? That was, that was great, Jerry. Uh, man, that, that's good. So what I'm thinking is, is like you have a, you have a body of flesh and bone and blood for a reason. Uh, you're not going to understand that unless you come to the God of the Bible, right? Like, you can't ascend from something that you will have for eternity. Like we die and we may lose our bodies for but a time, but it says there will be a resurrection in which uh, the good get a glorified body, good only through the righteousness of Christ. And those who are damned also get a resurrected body, but it's for judgment. 
You cannot escape and ascend this realm in terms of becoming God. You're merely a creation and you're created in order to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You'll either glorify him in your humiliation and worship or you'll glorify him in your damnation. And that's just the truth. And sometimes it's hard to hear those things, but you can never leave your body behind. We're created as human beings with bodies and souls for a very specific purpose and reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, This realm that we're living in is not just a shadow or an illusion of the truth. No, it says that God is going to make all things new, right? Like this is the reality that we live in as creatures created by God, existing for the very purpose defined by God. So there is no form of mental ascension that can get us outside of the realm of being created beings, right? It's a physical impossibility and you will die one day and you will never uh, for all eternity be away from your body in some weird cosmic soup of consciousness. No, you will be resurrected one day and face your creator and there will be eternal judgment. But the only way to satisfy the judgment of God is to actually believe on the one is whom he has sent, like Jerry was saying. Is Jesus Christ, the eternal God in the flesh who died on the cross for our sins. He was the sacrifice. You can't use your fleshly body today to make sacrifices, right? Like sacrifice your body through drug use, sacrifice your body through asceticism and severity and stretches and poses. Those things don't satisfy the wrath of God, but you're created to worship. You're created for a sacrifice. So if you're not going to bow your knee to Christ and accept his sacrifice, you're going to try to sacrifice your body in all of the other ways, but it'll never satisfy the wrath of God. It's Jesus in his body as the perfect spotless lamb who is the sacrifice for you. So that like what Jerry said and what Paul says, like you can get God mm-hmm. by just relying on faith in Christ and Christ alone. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it's nothing that I've done. There's nothing that I could do. No one has ever seen the father except the one who has descended, who is also ascending and sits on the right hand of the father. So that's the gospel, right? Yeah, it is. Amen, guys. Thank yep. you. Thank you. Where you want to send people? Send them to Cultish? Or? Yeah, the cult, if you want to check out our podcast, uh, thecultishshow.com. Uh, that's also our Instagram tag name, The Cultist Show. Mm-hmm. Um, that, and also, and also, if you just look up us up on Spotify, iTunes, we have a whole plethora of podcasts. Uh, we, we, we're now actually... We're almost at 200 or something. Yeah, we're, we're also now at year four. Wow. We're, we're going into a year. We're just, we've just completed four full years. Wow. So we launched in October 2018. So this is year four, like going, on, going into year five. And like, I never imagined, I never imagined in a million years, this is the podcast would be where it is right now, making the amount of impact that it's had. Um, like, uh, I, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but we just, there's a show. Some people may f- be familiar with, uh, Scientology, the aftermath, mm. uh, the A&E series. Like we're going to actually, uh, get an opportunity to interview Mike Rinder, uh, who's the most formidable survivor of Scientology, um, he just came out with a new book. It's fantastic. A billion right. years. And now like the ability, like to, to, and it's interesting too, just how, as we wrap up here, just kind of seeing like there's a verse, this is not just, a, I don't want in any way want to toot my own horn, but this is, this is just an example of like a principle um, that King Solomon talked about where it's, I think it's in Proverbs 18 uh, where it says like, you see a man who is skillful and does excellence in his work. This man will not stand before the average person. But he'll stand before Kings. So I remember all those years ago when Scientology, the aftermath came out and like the impact that it had on me just to, it gave me such a burden to like, to want to reach people who are these ex cultists who have, who have experienced this religious abuse and religious trauma. And 
now, like all these years later, to be able to have a platform where, you know, Mike, we're going to get to talk. We're actually going to get to speak Amazing. with the most formidable ex-Scientologist alive. It's going to be an, it's an honor to do that. And again, it, this is just an example too, for anyone out there, like whatever your vocation is, uh, there's times where Andrew and I have tried, have done this between like there's times where I've worked multiple jobs in between like doing the podcast. I didn't take any income or anything like the pod. It's a labor of love. And eventually, you know, you just had to work hard for whatever your, whatever your passion project is like, work hard for it and what ends up happening if you do if you do excellence in what you do whether it's whether it's a podcast or whether it's pottery or whether it's uh like i said it's a book on like communication like or if it's something for fee whatever it is whatever your product or service is do it with excellence and as a byproduct of that the people in your inner circle they'll end up starting they'll end up being evangelists for you and what they'll start doing they'll start evangelizing to the outer circle that you're not in contact with and that will create connections. Yep. Um, and then all of a sudden, then you, next thing you know, you end up with this partnership with someone who's way in the higher sphere of influence because you did, you work to the best of your ability within your sphere of influence. I think, you know, even when we started, even with our social media, you know, we had 500, when we had 500 followers, I was like, we need to treat this like we have 5,000 followers. We have almost 40,000 followers on Instagram now. And but the the principle stays the same, uh, and maybe that's one another takeaway people could have as we wrap up here. Amen. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Congratulations. Yeah. That that's really awesome to hear. And thank yeah. you guys for both spending so much time with yeah, me. I really appreciate man. it. Yeah. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.